Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I was spending some time this week meditating on Isaiah chapter 35, which as you hear has a lot of imagery of gardens and trees and plants springing forth in the wilderness, and it was kind of convicting. Well, it was convicting on a number of levels, but on one level it was that it reminded me this past summer I went and got a number of bonsai trees for my office upstairs in our house, and I thought, oh, it would be really nice for it to add some greenery to my space. Um, but between my lack of a green thumb and Rowan being, well, Rowan, um, the bonsai trees did not last. Um, so I, my office is a desert, I guess, that will kill everything that grows. But the reading this morning uh, that, that in Isaiah 35, this idea of sort of an unexpected turn of events, you know, a catastrophe, the wilderness all of a sudden becomes a fruitful garden, got me thinking a lot about the example of St. Paul, um, who is, of course, our patron here at St. Paul's. Um, but, you know, think about, think about how St. Paul was according to early Christians who knew him as persecutor of the church. Okay. I mean, you see him traveling, rounding up Christians, bringing them back to the synagogue in order to be tried, basically excommunicated. And you think, man, what is that guy's problem? Uh, you know, he is, he is just so far gone, there's no possible hope for him. And then, of course, the Damascus Road happens, and there's a big change in Paul. And we even see that, that passage in Acts about the scales falling from his eyes. And all of a sudden... Saul, persecutor of the church, becomes St. Paul, who's responsible for most of the New Testament, who's responsible for planting churches all across the Greco-Roman world. Christianity certainly wouldn't be the same without St. Paul. And I think that, that his life is really a good illustration of the principles at work in today's passage. In its context, Isaiah 35 is a prophecy that was given to the exiled people of Israel. It anticipates their restoration after the great exile in Babylon. And while there is definitely wrapped up in the passage this sense of expectation of return to their homeland, especially at the end of the passage where it talks about the highway that God is making in the wilderness, there's also this idea that the, that the really significant part of, of salvation is God's coming, his coming to the people in exile and bringing their salvation. And so we know that he will transform this wilderness. And, and we can read that as our own selves, I think. He will save us. He will transform us. He will guide us home. Now, one of the foundational Christian beliefs about God is that he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful, right? And this is very, we see this in the opening verses of Scripture, the, the doctrine of creation. God created everything out of nothing. He's not dependent on anything. He's not a part of creation. He's totally separate. He is all-powerful. Isaiah brings that omnipotence to bear in our own situations. He promises that God's coming brings with it a power that transforms the wilderness. The desert shall blossom abundantly, he says, and rejoice even with joy and singing. Now, this imagery should take us backwards in Scripture. It should take us to to Genesis 2 and 3, the Garden of Eden, Right? What Isaiah is anticipating here is the renewal of all things. It's the restoration of the way things are supposed to be. And in this act of restoration, God, in his all-powerfulness, creates life where there is no life. He makes fruitful what was sterile. He turns hearts of stone 
into hearts of flesh. And if God can transform the desert into a garden, well, then we know he can turn whatever desperate situation we find ourselves in into a situation that reflects his power and his glory that brings about his will, even when we don't understand how things might work out. And he can even turn a sinner into a saint. He may be able to also grow a bonsai tree in my office. Who knows? But it means that he can work in our lives, no matter what the circumstances, in his love and grace. The power of God, the beautiful thing about the power of God, is it never leaves us as it, found, as it finds us. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap as in heart and the tongue of the dumb sing. Isaiah 35 anticipates what Jesus says to the messengers that John sent him. They say, are you the Messiah or should we be looking for someone else? And Jesus says, report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the dumb sing. Christ brings about salvation. He brings about restoration. He brings about transformation. And here's the cool thing about the transformation that God often brings about in us. It always corresponds to our weaknesses. God uses us in our weaknesses because that's where his strength becomes the most prominent. I mean, think about all these great Old Testament figures. Think about Moses. When God calls Moses, his excuse is, well, I I can't go save the people from Egypt. I'm slow of speech. Yet God delivers him, or uses him to deliver and lead the people of Israel, where he has to use speech quite a bit. We can think of Gideon in the book of Judges. The the Israelites were oppressed by the Philistines. God calls Gideon, and Gideon says, I'm not the right person for the job. I'm the weakest man from the weakest clan of all of Israel. Yet God uses him. When God goes to Jeremiah and calls him into prophetic ministry, Jeremiah says, I can't do it. I'm too young. Yet God uses him to address the people of Israel. The prophet Isaiah has a similar call story. When he's taken up to heaven, God says, who will I send? And Isaiah says, you can't send me. I'm a man of unclean lips. So the angel comes with a coal and cleans his lips, purifies his lips. And then when God asks again, who shall I send? Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. And of course, St. Paul is a great New Testament example, violent persecutor of the church, becomes an instrument in spreading the gospel. So if God can make the blind see, if he can make the deaf hear, if he can make the lame walk, if he can make the mute sing, well, then we're probably not so special because he can transform even us. He can bring streams even into the parched deserts of our souls. And so at the end of the reading, God places before us two ways, two paths, to roads. We can travel the path to salvation or we can go down the road to perdition. God invites us to travel the path of salvation, the highway called the way of holiness. And we know that leads to heaven. But it comes with a warning. It comes with a warning. The unclean shall not pass over it. Fools shall not err therein. To travel this road, requires our complete and total surrender to him. It requires us to be committed to obedience and faithfulness. The way is demanding, but we know the reward is worth it. And we're told too, we're given a promise of protection. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go there upon. 
Because when God calls us to do things, they're often perilous. They can be quite scary, stepping out in faith. Moses having to go back to Egypt, how scary was that? But ultimately, God keeps us safe. Just as lions and ravenous beasts may pose imminent threats against travelers, so we know the devil roams about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But being in the path that God has set for us, obeying his commandments, living according to his law, is the safest place we can possibly be. Doing God's will can be scary, but it's the only way to be secure, truly secure. And so I think we come away from Isaiah 35 with three exhortations this morning. The first is that we have to walk in the path. We have to persevere. Things will get tough. The road will twist and turn. The slope will get more and more steep. But our job is to stay on the path, to stay on the path. And we do that by heeding what Isaiah said last week in chapter 55, calling upon him while he's near, letting his word, the person of the word, speak to us and guide us as we follow him. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Like any path, though, One of the reasons we keep going down it is we look towards the end. I mean, if you're taking a long journey, you're halfway there. You think, why am I doing this long drive? But you look towards the end and you say, that that end justifies what I'm putting putting up with right now. When we do this spiritually, it's called the virtue of hope. And hope begins when we're aware we're not there yet. Things aren't quite what they should be yet. Right? Each of us has our own cross to bear. We're in the midst of brokenness, and we, we experience that in relationships and in, um, and in current events and all of that. We, we, we really feel that, that brokenness. And so we know things aren't, things aren't quite what they need to be. But we look forward knowing that that day will come when God is present, when the desert will be fruitful, when, Lord willing, we will reach our destination. And this conditions are present to resolve to and to consent to and to participate with the gospel because the gospel will transform us into who it is that we're supposed to be. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, amen.